0: Mountain. I walked and I crawled on six crooked highways I Stepped in the middle of seven sad forests I've been out in front of a dozen dead oceans I've been ten thousand miles in the mouth of a graveyard It's a heart, and it's a heart It's a heart, it's a heart The hard rain's gonna fall Oh, what did you see, my blue-eyed son? What did you see, my darling young one? I saw a newborn baby with wild wolves all around it So a highway of diamonds with nobody on it with blood that kept dripping I saw a room full of men With their hammers of bleeding I saw a white ladder All covered with water I saw 10,000 talkers Whose tongues were all broken And it's a heart It's a heart It's a heart It's a heart Did you hear my darling young one? I heard the sound of a thunder that roared out a warning. I heard the roar of a wave that could drown the whole world. I heard 100 drummers whose hands were ablazing. I heard 10,000 whispering and nobody listening. I heard one person starve, I heard many people laughing. Heard the song of a poet who died in the gutter, and it's a heart, it's a heart, and it's a heart, it's a heart, it's a hard rain gonna fall. Who did you meet, my blue-eyed son? Who did you meet, my darling young one? A child beside a dead pony. I met a white man who walked a black dog. I met a young woman whose body was burning. I met a young girl, she gave me a rainbow. I met one man who was wounded in love. I met another man who was wounded in hatred. It's a heart. It's a heart. it's a heart. it's a heart. rain gonna fall.
1: You are listening to Your Community Spirit, the show about caring, sharing and preparing for the changes needed in the world as we know it. <laughs> I was playing that song because I just saw a graphic of climate change. And east of the Mississippi we are actually not in a drought because we had the wettest, wettest you know, half of the year. Mm-hmm. But the west of the Mississippi they're completely in a drought. Yeah. So <laughs>
2: East side, west side. Like, <laughs> We're fighting, you know, you get all the water and you get none of the water.
1: <laughs> so um this is Ord Energy Mon.
2: And this is Treson.
1: And I guess we should wake up, huh?
2: We probably should. It's like wake up.
1: And be healthy and therefore wealthy to the peace and joy of Mother Earth. You are (laughs) listening to your community spirit on your community radio station. And how much more your can we give you?
2: (laughs) We can give you your news and happenings and holidays and uh, your happy day in Southern Illinois. And beyond if you're listening on the Internet.
1: Yeah. Um, I actually have been listening to a radio station that I visited when I was in Brazil. So Hmm. there um a little more high tech actually than us <laughs> yeah and they had like the ability to play those little sound clips you know like duh, 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 you know little 5 second sound clips Yeah. it was kind of actually creepy to watch them do it
2: but <laughs> yeah i've always i've wondered about that i've heard those on shows but i've never actually had like a sound list in front of me to try to do that because they're really good sometimes so like have some random comment made and then they play the sound for it and you got to be on your game for that
1: (laughs) just like
2: we're awake now so we're on our game
1: (laughs) um is it a game that the epa finally has a new boss
2: (laughs) i think it was kind of a game for a while they're playing a 136 long day game
1: (laughs) just like just oh well we don't really need anybody to run this organization yeah so so finally the epa gets a new boss it's been 136 days since president obama nominated gina mccarthy to head the u.s epa it's been even longer a record-breaking 154 days since the agency had a permanent administrator Now, finally, she and the agency are out of limbo. The Senate confirmed McCarthy by a vote of 59 to 40 on Thursday. Senate Republicans had thrown a tantrum over her nomination and blocked it in various ways, not because she's unqualified. She's actually highly qualified and even worked for Republicans like Mitt Romney, but because they just didn't like the EPA. (laughs) Yeah.
2: I mean, I guess that seems to be the strategy, you know. Like, they they haven't been able to get rid of this agency yet, so they just try to keep it without a leader and hope that it just falls apart.
1: Sorry. well, apparently um, they might not need her because it kind of stuck around. <laughs> yeah, <laughs>
2: <It's> like <laughs> <laughs> they're like, oh, we don't need we don't need anyone at the top now. <laughs> we can just run it ourselves.
1: So. <laughs> yep, we'll see what happens.
2: Yeah, well, definitely, you know, the, the EPA has mixed results in how much they've actually acted on environmental issues. So I'm really curious to see uh, what this new person does. We will definitely have more news as it develops. All right, in other news, I, I really, I wanted to mention this one, even though I don't know if this is necessarily news. Wait, I
1: have a sound effect button right here. No, that didn't very good. Yours is better than me.
2: News time. In breaking news, Ohio lawmakers who oppose fracking tax have gotten lots of money from frackers. <laughs> now I know.
1: Wait a Ooh. second. How is that breaking news? That's <laughs> just kind of like. It's
2: kind of like common sense, you know.
1: <laughs> People but I- have it. Yeah. Or they don't.
2: They have it or they don't. I but mean- I, I know we assume it. But it's it's nice to me when we actually hear some of the details. Well, nice may not be the right word. it's it's, it's good news when we actually hear details, proof that this is going on. But oil and gas companies have been on a fracking spree in Ohio for a couple of years, but they're not bringing many jobs to the state, so Republican Governor John Kasich has been trying to get them to give back in another way, by a fracking tax. Under his proposal...
1: Is, is that a cuss word?
2: <laughs> yeah, that, that fracking, tax. fracking tax. Not another
1: fracking tax. Yeah,
2: for the uh, Battlestar Galactica fans out there, it's a curse word. But under the proposal, revenue from the fracking tax would wait be... Wait a
1: second. <laughs> So they wrote a show mm-hmm. about the future. Yeah, and the word where "the" where the the <laughs> fracking is a bad word before fracking was bad. Oh
2: yeah, they were very prescient. They they saw it coming. <laughs> so now in the future, that's that's one of my theories is that fracking contributed to the ecological destruction of planet Earth, and so fracking became a b- bad word. <laughs> it had nothing to do with trying to avoid censors and still have profanity on a TV show. <laughs> it was because of fracking
1: why would people name something or th- they didn't actually name it I think the people who are anti-fracking probably named it that
2: yeah or, I or, wonder we should get a linguistic it in just here just
1: naturally you know they're like oh this is what we do and you know we frack you up I mean it's just like <laughs> yeah I mean you just can't not make fun with that word
2: yeah I mean and it's it's such a natural contraction of hydraulic fracturing too that you know it was, it was inevitable just like High frack. <laughs> High frack. <laughs> but, yeah, this, this tax, so they, uh, so he tried, he proposed this tax, and it was going to be used to uh, reduce income taxes. You know, you tax these companies, and then you use the proceeds to
1: reduce income taxes. And that's popular with, you know, everybody.
2: Oh, yeah, environmentalists, you know? regular taxpayers who don't care about the environment.
1: Republicans.
2: Republicans, yeah. Republicans and Democrats were interested in uh, this issue, but some GOP members of the state legislator decided to block it. Uh, They blocked it from being enacted. And uh, the Cincinnati Inquirer has a theory. They They
1: inquired.
2: Yeah, they inquired. They actually did. There's this thing, this long-lost art called investigative journalism, where they analyzed the situation and found that 10 of the largest oil and natural gas companies and their main political action committees have pumped more than $660,000 into Ohio legislators' campaigns coffers since 2010. That's a lot in a short period of time for one state. They gave it mostly to Republicans who got 91.5% of oil and gas contributions and most often to Republicans in Ohio's House who would later decide the fate of the fracking tax. Uh, for example, uh, House Speaker Bill Batchelder got More than $227,000, which is about one-tenth of what he raised from oil and gas companies. And then, lo and behold, he goes and uh, supports that. Now, the governor says he's still pushing for the tax, but the oil and gas lobby is out there pushing against it. It makes me wonder what the details are in Illinois. If someone has done an Illinois analysis of who voted on the fracking bill here, And why they may have voted that way.
1: Huh.
2: If I had a research team for for every idea like that I had, (laughs) hopefully someone out there is researching who funded the politicians who decided to hand over our water supply and air supply to the fracking companies.
1: I just actually saw a meme on the Internet that said the U.K. is uh, considering um, cutting fracking companies' taxes in half. (laughs) And it was just like, you know click yes if you don't support this. You know, so (laughs) it was just like... Yeah. I mean, um, I have this feeling that companies that make a lot of money should pay taxes.
2: It's a crazy idea, you know. Make money and pay taxes. I mean, the... The regular persons, natural persons, have to pay taxes on their income.
1: Did you just say natural persons?
2: (laughs) Yeah. Well, there's this distinction, legal persons being corporations and natural persons being, you know, flesh-and-blood humans.
1: Burning fossil fuels imperils our ability to burn fossil fuels. (laughs) Wait a second. That just hurt my head, so I better read the whole thing. Pretty much every power plant requires water to work coal, natural gas, nuclear, and even some types of renewable energy need water to create steam and to cool down. These plants account for more than 40% of the fresh water drawn from lakes and rivers in the U.S. each year. But climate change limits access to that water and poses a major threat to our ability to keep wa- power plants running. Ah, this is according to a new report from the Union of Concerned Scientists, and we do have a link to the PDF if you would like to a copy of it hmm. info at your community spirit dot yeah so basically if plants don't have enough water they can't run Mo- most plants um power plants i i think that's so funny we call them plants yeah <laughs> they don't grow anything
2: no well okay. they, they grow the amount of co2 in the <laughs> atmosphere
1: <laughs> most power plants burn something to produce heat And that heat heats up steam, and that steam turns a turbine. Yeah. If there was just some way, we could short-circuit that. But anyway, so you need a lot of water to produce steam. And, you know, water is becoming less and less available as, well, the planet heats up. Yeah. The report notes that the summer drought in Texas in 2011 forced one power plant to cut its hours of operations, while others had to pump in water from new sources— which led, of course, to fights over rights of water. Um, yeah, I think the world, um, the next world war will be over water. I mean, yeah. it's, there's already a lot of countries fighting, but it's becoming more and more of an issue.
2: Yeah, and some of the countries that still have good water in a lot of places, like the U.S., are just squandering it away on things like fracking.
1: Now, I mean, this is a real issue if they cannot have access to cool water, because. The whole point is they're bringing in cool water not only to produce steam but to keep the power plant cool from overheating. Yeah. The whole process is designed – I mean, if they could figure out a way – I've heard some cutting-edge power plants where they use the same water over and over again. Yeah. And so it's hot and it stays hot. But most power plants are designed for cooler water. They use the fresh water and then they dump it back in and then they don't use it again. Yeah. But if you could make this, you know, s- cycle where you keep using the same water and then you don't have to heat it up so much, but um I don't Maybe someone could correct me, but I don't know of any power plants that actually do that. Yeah, I'm I don't actually know. ignorant about something. <laughs> I get to look something up. Yeah, this we get is to my learn. day. Mm-hmm. All
2: yeah. Right this is one of those good news bad news things though the good news is that may slow down the consumption of fossil fuels you know if you can't use as many power plants but the bad news is you may suddenly unexpectedly have large urban areas that have no power and that doesn't seem like a good idea to me it right. <laughs> seems like bad things will happen if suddenly we have our infrastructure built on all of this power and then it's not there like the hospitals won't have power
1: you know. Right. I mean, what's, what's nice about this report is it's optimistic <laughs> that we can shift to renewable energy. Yeah. And this is just another reason to shift to renewable energy because, you know, basically they're figuring out that here's a threat and we have to fix this threat. And the only way to fix it is to switch to renewable energy. And by shifting to renewable energy we pollute the planet less and therefore there's more water. It's this whole cycle of goodness for yeah. everybody. So.
2: Yeah, it creates yeah, it creates a positive cycle instead of a destructive one.
1: Now, the only bad thing is <laughs> I just recently for the first time saw a report that uh power companies profits are going to go down hmm. because um well, fossil fuel companies profits are going to go down because they're not shifting to renewable energy. Yeah. So um, we're using less fuel for cars, and we're using less coal for power plants. And companies—that's what this report said—that because they're not shifting over, that their value is going to go down. And yeah. it was a stock market report. So basically, it's just saying don't invest in companies that are heavily fossil fuel powered. Yeah. So I thought that was interesting. That's the first report I've seen. <laughs>
2: I hope they enjoy those big profits while they can (laughs) because they're not going to last. Speaking of financial matters, let's talk a little bit about the World Bank. The World Bank joins the war on coal. There's a new ally in the fight against the dirtiest of fossil fuels. The World Bank's Board of Directors approved a strategy shift this week that will move the lending body formally away from its long-standing support of coal-fired plants in favor of cleaner and smarter alternatives. Now, that's a little bit of an exaggeration. I mean, it's because there, you got to look at the details. That's one of the things the environmentalists are concerned about. Uh, they will provide financial support for uh, greenfield coal power generation process, projects only in rare circumstances, such as where there are no feasible alternatives to coal. <laughs> now, where, where is that? You know, there's always feasible alternatives to coal. So I don't understand where they're talking about. Uh,
1: but but, and it, but it it's just funny that, that that's actually the headline. You know, it's another organization that's trying to green themselves up. The headline literally says, World Bank joins war on coal. Yeah. You know, that's – isn't that, like, kind of the rhetoric now that, you know, environmentalists are warring on fossil fuels? Warring on fossil fuels. Warring <laughs> against coal. Yeah. And it's just like um, – I think it's the other way around. Coal is warring against us. Yeah. I mean, it's been it's, – it's had its day – it's polluted the environment, it's killing us. Yeah. Hey, wait, we're fighting back a little bit? Okay. Then it's war. <laughs> it's like,
2: <laughs> Sounds more like self defense. <laughs> but yeah, there it was an issue. It came up because they loaned so much. They loaned like nearly fifty three billion last year to developing countries about infrastructure projects. So it's one of those things a like billion. Yeah, billion.
1: Yeah. I mean, yeah. It approved a three billion dollar loan a coal facility in South Africa. Yeah. So.
2: so even if it makes like a small percentage shift, if, if there are billions of dollars switching from coal to renewables, then even if they're do, still doing some funding of coal, it might change something, I guess.
1: <laughs> but the wording, no feasible alternatives to coal. Yeah. Wait a second. That's already your position. <laughs> I mean, that's just like uh, economic position. If there's no feasible alternatives... Yeah. To the cheapest product out there, you're going to try something more expensive.
2: Yeah. Well, it shows how out of touch they are with the science. I mean, like, they've got the financial wizardry, down. You know, the World Bank plays all sorts of games with money, you know. But knowing basic climate science, you know, and knowing basic energy, they apparently still don't.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, from an economic point of view, they're just looking at the immediate cost. Yeah. And that's that's our our, our problem with it is the costs are shifted, you know, to later and to other people.
2: Yeah. That's like I mean. externalities, you know. The the original concept of externalities that I had explained to me was just that it's affecting people other than you, you know, it's pushing the costs onto other people, but it also pushes them forward in time, too. Like not only are you putting your pollution on your neighbors, but you're putting it on your neighbors' grandchildren and great-grandchildren.
1: Come on. <laughs> that doesn't earn money <laughs> i mean you're trying to give a, co- a company a conscious <laughs> yeah uh, when they're i mean they're out there to make money i mean yeah it's like
2: they're out there for this quarter's profits <laughs> Yeah. i
1: mean conscience money conscience money that's, yeah that's the the scale of that they should have not like earth and money they should yeah. have conscience, conscience and, and money, money.
2: Yeah. There's this great comic I saw online where it shows these children are on a campfire and this guy in a tattered business suit, and you see the ruins of a city behind them, and he says, you know, yeah, sure, we ruined the entire planet, but we did have pretty nice profit margins in fourth quarter.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Just like, all right. Polite bike activists mind their P's and Q's while practicing civil disobedience. At Streets Blog, Angela Schmidt shares the heartwarming story of bike activism gone exactly right. Here's what went down. A group of bikers, I think it should be bicyclists.
2: (laughs) Yeah, bicyclists. (laughs) It makes them sound more cool to say they're bikers.
1: (laughs) They're bikers. (laughs) It's like, we're hardcore bikers. Um, A group of bicyclists organized under the banner of, quote, reasonably polite Seattleites? End yeah. quote I wanted to say Seattle Bites, but I reread <laughs> it. Seattleites took an existing bike lane and hacked a protective barrier together for it. But, being reasonably polite, they told the local transportation agency exactly what they'd done and made it easy for um, authorities to remove the pylons they'd installed. And in this case, politeness paid off. As Seattle Bike Blog writes, the city's traffic engineer actually apologized for taking it down. And then he had his team install a permanent legal barrier of their own. Look how polite he was. Uh, Yeah, (laughs) that's very polite. You know, I mean, think about it. I mean, the bicyclists are obviously exposed to the dangers of the street. Yeah. And so they've done a lot more um, data gathering than the city engineers have. And so they kind of know where things, you know, protective barriers need to be, I guess.
2: Yeah, and so the city took that into account and actually did something good.
1: (laughs) It's just like...
2: That's pretty exciting. Yeah, it's like... Everyday citizens can make a difference.
1: Speaking of which...
2: Yes, Peru's poorest will soon have solar power. The stereotype goes that solar is for rich people, or so it often seems. There's a cost of the panels themselves. And the fact that you're getting your landlord to plop solar panels atop your apartment building might be a lost cause for some people. Although, actually, Seattle, again, just there's Seattle apartment complex that allowed their tenants to have solar. Community solar is catching on, but it's still out of reach for many people, unless you live in Peru. The country just launched the National Photovoltaic Household Electrification Program. It's an initiative to get the solar to 2 million of the country's poorest residents. In the first phase, the National Photovoltaic Household Electrification Program, they need a snappier name for that, you know. It was initiated on July 8th. In Spanish,
1: I'm sure it's more snappy. Oh,
2: yeah, it flows off the tongue in Spanish. In English, you (laughs) just trip over yourself. They installed 1,601 solar panels in one province.
1: Now, this was initiated July 8th. Yeah. So it just started, and they've already installed (laughs) this many...
2: So. Yeah, so that's in, in a couple of weeks. I mean, you've installed a lot of solar. You know how much effort that must have taken. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's a lot of solar panels in one uh, one or two weeks. <laughs> and these installations will power 126 communities in several different cities. Uh, Kupisnik, San Benito, Tantarica, Chilete, Yonan, San Luis, and Contai.
1: That sounds pretty good. <laughs> I mean, you're you're speaking, not the towns. Right? Yeah, I tried. <laughs> I mean, the program actually plans to install 12,500 photovoltaic systems, not modules, but actual systems to provide for approximately half a million households at an overall cost of about $200 million. Yeah. And, I mean, the interesting thing is, is most of these places, I mean, only 66% of the country is electrified. Yeah. And if this program goes through to the end, they're shooting for 95% electrification. Yeah. And most of these homes are, like, you know, oil lamp-powered. So they're going, like, basically they're getting an off-the-grid upgrade. Yeah. Because I think most of these homes are going to be off-the-grid systems still. But now they're going to be solar-powered off-the-grid. Yeah. And so they're getting going from oil lamps to solar power. And, well, solar's free. <laughs> yeah. And it doesn't, you know put out smog oil lamps do and doesn't, yeah you know cost the money and they don't have to t- constantly tinker with the oil lamp and
2: yeah and and those lamps better light too yeah it does and those lamps are bad for health often you know they have a lamp in an enclosed space and it's bad for the person's health and then it gets outside and it contributes to greenhouse gas emissions and it's nice to see them skipping a step of like a lot of people who aren't electrified who are getting electrified will do it with the, the same method that's Uh, that the powerful countries now use. They have these big, massive coal plants and...
1: And then run a bunch of power lines. And then run a bunch of
2: power lines and...
1: Basically, they're doing what... Like, basically how our our phone system is now. Mm. You have cell phones and it's all wireless. Yeah. So now you have, you know, um, wireless electricity, essentially, because everybody has their own little system. And so instead of running this whole massive infrastructure of wires all over the country... You know, it's all uh, decentralized. Yeah. So. um, They're skipping a lot of our mistakes. (laughs) I like this final sentence in this article. It says, yo, America, see that shiny thing? It's a gauntlet and it's been thrown down. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I was like, where did you get this article? (laughs) I was just like, that's a funny.
2: Yeah. I bet we could, if they did uh, 12,500, we could do (laughs) 12,501.
1: Like. Well, um, it says sixteen hundred have been installed as of the beginning of this program. I'm scheduled to install three hundred and eight this summer, so <laughs> yeah, you know I mean, um it's more than I've ever installed i don't know probably the last five years, right yeah. so I mean, just my company here in the mi- midwest is trying to catch up with per <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> keep it up with the Joneses <laughs>
1: um it is friday july 19th today let's see feast of tammuz that's a jewish holiday and the national liberation day in nicaragua
2: yes and coming up on saturday we have moon day the anniversary of man's first landing on the moon
1: yeah that didn't happen (laughs) it's just like is the first time someone mooned the moon that's the one i want to (laughs) see yeah um sunday is the birthday of ernest hemingway and monday is pied piper day and rat catcher's day
2: (laughs) i bet those are related (laughs) Uh, let's see tuesday is gorgeous grandma day it's also hot enough for you day.
1: Yeah. Because
2: it's the middle of summer. And it's probably, I haven't looked at the forecast. Oh, I thought they were
1: talking about grandma. Hot <laughs> enough is for grandma you. Enough it's for like you. gorgeous grandma day. Hot enough for you? <laughs> yeah.
2: Maybe that's not a coincidence. But yeah, it is the middle of summer. You may have noticed Southern Illinois did eventually get that heat. That heat that we special ordered.
1: Yeah. Um, I guess that joke I just told was supposed to be told on Wednesday because it's national tell an old joke day. Oh, uh, Yeah. I'll have to save that one and tell it again. So yesterday was hot enough for you day because it's gorgeous grandma day. Yeah, that's not funny. Yeah. Um, Wednesday is also national drive-thru day. So (laughs) So you could go
2: through a drive-thru and tell a old joke to people at the drive-thru. I'm sure they'll love you for it. Uh (laughs) I know drive-thru workers, and they probably won't love you for it. They just want to get your order to you. (laughs) (laughs) Usually.
1: Thursday is the birthday of the first test tube baby. Yeah. It's like...
2: I forget how old they are now, but they're adults now. They're like, it's, it's been that long, you know. It's pretty, pretty crazy what science can do. We still haven't had yet, though, a baby that was entirely grown to, to birth in a test tube. <laughs> this is where they, they conceived the baby in a test tube, and then it's born the usual way.
1: So basically, they just get an egg and a sperm, and they say, hello, and then that's it? Yeah. <laughs> okay, well, that's not anything.
2: Well, it it takes a little something that it it took some science to figure out how to have it survive from being in a test tube to being in the mom.
1: Why would the geeks even do that? Just because they don't have sex. I mean, (laughs) it's like, I don't have sex. Let me figure out another way to have a baby. Another way to conceive. That was horrible. I'm sorry.
2: (laughs) Well, now now the product of science is an adult.
1: (laughs) All right. We have, like, one minute. (laughs) Highlight, um... You want to hit a couple?
2: Yeah, open mic night is back at Guy House. It's open mic night at 7 p.m. at Guy House Interfaith Center, 913 South Illinois in Carbondale.
1: Um, Carbondale Farmers Market, there's two of them, one on each side of town. Um, the one on the west side is from 8 till noon. The one on the east side is from 9 till 1. And that's at the Carbondale Community High School, Rain or Shine, Whether you want food or not, get out there and say hello to the farmers.
2: (laughs) Yes, and coming up on Thursday, 778 Bullets. This is a documentary film screening, and this is one we've mentioned for a few weeks, but it's actually coming up this Thursday, so now's your chance to see it. We've built the anticipation, and now it's happening. It's going on at the Church of the Good Shepherd, United Church of Christ, at 515 South Orchard Drive in Carbondale. Now, as we've mentioned before, this is a local one. This is by SIU professor Angela Aguayo. This short is part of a collaborative documentary media project focusing on the history of segregation and political struggle for civil rights in southern Illinois. Details the police raid on a local Carbondale home in 1970, actually not too far from the station here, where students associated with the Black Panthers were presumed to reside, and it covers a little-known history of resistance and resilience now i still i've seen i've seen something like a clip of this or something i still haven't seen the full thing so i'm hoping to make it out there this thursday church of the good shepherd 515 south orchard in carbondale
1: all right this has been another exciting chirp chirp um, <laughs> informative um Yeah, if you didn't learn anything, we can email it all to you, and then you can follow the links and learn something instead of listening to us. Yeah. Um, Info at yourcommunityspirit.org, and we'll send you our newsletter each week, if I remember. (laughs) We'll see you again on the radio next week.
2: Yes, in the meantime, enjoy the wonderful weather out there. Go
1: swimming.